Thing is a Cinema Diabolica special presentation. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. All right, DZ, what would you say about a BBC supernatural ghost story reality TV way before its time and a monster club horror movie actor group way past its prime? Eh, what the fuck? I'd watch it. Oh, well, I guess we're doing this then. Okay, we've got Ghost Watch and the Monster Club this week on Cinema Diabolic. Broadcasting from a project studio that's more project than studio. It's Cinema Diabolica's Spooktoberfest. Prepare to be scared to death, because here comes F-13 and DZ. (laughs) Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? It's Cinema Diabolica time once again. It's your boy, the Sancho Head Honcho, Mr. Psycho 77, talking spicy and getting feisty, F-13Z for sheezy, the noise bringer, the gunslinger, Tanto Broso, Kimayaman, Monstroso Delicioso, the Mexican murder gorilla, man so hot they call me the burner. Bang, bang! And with me this week, as every week, my partner in crime, the sauce on my spaghetti, the cream in my coffee, that's right, Mr. DZ. I had a very, very delicious and expensive burrito last week. My God, you must try these, the Calypso at Guido's Burritos. The delicious and expensive burrito. That sounds like an illicit sex maneuver. Dude, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, uh, you know what? I, I want to reverse cowboy on my mouth. The co- the cops would be reading the report up, and that's when the assailant inflicted the poor, confused boy with the delicious and expensive burrito. <laughs> <laughs> this burrito is a crime. Oh, God, not the delicious and expensive burrito, that poor young boy's anus. Uh, anywho's, oh. uh, this week we've oh, a got- a frozen burrito? Oh, I wanted it to thaw out, so I shoved it up my ass. <laughs> We're in rare form this week. Uh, so this week we've got Ghost Watch, uh, 1992. Uh, let's see. The IMDb style synopsis says the BBC gives over a whole evening to an investigation into the supernatural. Uh, and that's in quote marks. Uh, four respected presenters and a camera crew attempt to discover the truth behind the most haunted house in Britain, uh, expecting a lighthearted scare or two and probably the uncovering of a hoax. Uh, they think they are in control of the situation. Uh, 90 minutes later, the BBC and the country was changed, and the consequences are still felt today. This uh, summary was written by Gary Thompson. Gary, fuck you. Um, <laughs> it's pretty shit. Uh, it, so basically, the whole idea here is this was a TV movie broadcast on the BBC in 1992 about a supernatural investigation, not at all unlike the War of the Worlds. Right, and people uh, tuning in uh, apparently missed the first uh, few minutes of it where it actually had a titled card saying written by. But, DZ, why didn't they just go back to the beginning of the broadcast on their TiVo? This is 1992. They're really, really old TiVo. <laughs> um, well, because uh, it's Britain, I don't know. That's a good but point. There, there should have been, there should, it should have been a dead giveaway when they saw Lister show up right away from Red Dwarf. Right. I, yeah. uh, I, I, I'm not exactly sure what to attribute that to. Uh, I, I've watched this movie, and I can say that uh, nothing about this feels ex- especially real, but 
this is because I'm looking at it through my jaded eyes of of 2018 F13. If in well, 1992 I had seen this, how would I have felt? How would you have felt? Well, um, I'm not a believer, so I probably would have gone, oh, they're trying really hard, so this is entertaining. I, I would have been entertained for sure. Because you know, who didn't watch um, Bigfoot, et cetera, you know, uh, supernatural shows back in the day? Hell, this would have been before X Files had really climbed to its, uh, you know, s- super status of a TV show. So there was generally interest back then. Um, this format is really, really interesting. And I think it set the trend um, that didn't really hit until Watch or Ghost I'm came about until the 2000s where it kind of created the format and this this show precedes um, Blair Witch if I'm not mistaken the, um, the producers of uh, Blair Witch did watch it um, it's it's an it's an intriguing attempt at trying to make it realistic uh, one of the side notes is apparently Judy Dench um, her friend is the doctor in the movie. And she apparently said, "Well, damn it, you just blew, you just completely blew the reality of it for me." <laughs> Seeing someone you know playing a part, it's like, wait a minute. Well, I know, and it's just like I said. You know, I saw Lister, and I was like, "Ah, oh, Lister's in this." <laughs> I mean, I knew it was a movie, but you know, kind of breaking that fourth wall. It's like, okay, right. uh, how far how far are you going to be able to dive into with it? So when in when investigating this, uh, I found an article on the Wrap. That was titled hmm. Banned BBC Horror Mockumentary Ghost Watch Revived for U.S. Audiences. Um, banned in the U.K. Man, they will really just ban anything. Well, Video Nasties series that we did just really shows that most of those movies have no reason to be on that list. Right. Just yeah, ridiculous. Um, and it's just if you get a chance to ban. Well, you know, here's the thing, too, is that we're a younger culture. So... I, I, I see an older culture like England and in Europe in general. Not, I, I don't want to say falling for if, if you're just surrounded by enough of that kind of like ghost stories and folk tales and that sort of, you know, um, cultural element. Right. Um, I can see in even just wanting to self-indulge in it. It's like, oh, OK, so this, you know, there's this thing about ghosts. And by the way, they're, they're calling lines. Some of those were real. They did have live call-in lines. Um, uh, when the show went aired hmm. and uh, they did tell him that, you know, when they answered the phone, this is not real. People still told their ghost stories. Right. Uh, so the watch article st- uh, here says uh, one woman wrote into the producer at the BBC and she demanded money from them because her husband, who I think was a paratrooper, had actually soiled his trousers. He was so scared. Um. Uh, I'll give her five bucks, mm. you know, to get him some new underwear. What the fuck? Uh, the BBC received thirty thousand complaints via phone within the first hour, with many parents saying it caused post-traumatic stress among their children. Yeah. With one clam, one clamly, they were, you know, they lived in a pineapple under the sea. Uh, <laughs> with one family claiming it led to their son's suicide. Ooh, well. Uh, Martin Denham, an 18-year-old factory worker with learning difficulties, committed suicide five days after Ghost Watch had aired. Uh, his parents said Martin was hypnotized and obsessed with the show, which convinced him there were ghosts in their own family home. Um, this kind of uh, sloppy you know, parenting, just passing it off on on everyone else, it's not new. It's, it's existed since the beginning of time. Um, 
But it, it, it does bear a lot of uh, similarities to War of the Worlds and the reaction and uh, fallout from that. Yeah, you know, and we're even seeing it just today. I mean, it, it's an ongoing thing. You know, people, when when they're suffering from grief, they're going to try to find, you know, a, a reason, you know, a, right. something to point their finger at. There's going to be a lot of finger, finger pointing. You know, I don't know pointing. why I can't talk tonight, but I'm going to do my best for you, the listener. Yeah, so in this... Um, you know, just kind of getting back to the movie itself. It's definitely entertaining. What's funny is the host in this um, kind of had you know, coming across some trivia on him. He didn't really, it was, it was, he didn't really seem to be sold on the idea of it. And he didn't, he, I don't know his, his portrayal of his character was just kind of goofy where it's like, he didn't really seem to know what he was doing. Like he was befuddled. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, just that it takes a little while for it to warm up to the, you know, to the kind of reality that they were trying to set. I did like the doctor on the last half of it as opposed to the first half. Um, she didn't seem to be really kind of, you know, jived in. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's entertaining enough. I mean, I'm not again, I'm not a believer, so it's hard for me to, like, suspend my disbelief on this, you know, and what kind of reality they were trying to uh to build up to, but I would have to think that any time, regardless, you know, and I know that the family in this, uh, the mother was saying that they were not allowed to uh, move away from the place. So I'd be like, fuck that. If these hauntings were really happening that often, hmm. that like that second, maybe not the first get out. Cause then I would think, Oh, someone's just playing a trick on me. Right. Maybe by the second or third get out. Uh, yeah, I'm gone. I don't, I'll be homeless instead of being haunted. Hmm. Uh, interesting goof in this uh, series or this uh, special because the studio presenters were reacting to footage recorded weeks before. There are many instances where Sarah Green will answer questions not yet asked to her or studio presenters will have to re-ask questions to fill gaps before someone will answer. Yeah, there was there was definitely some of that awkwardness in it, like weird uh, audio video sync, which I mean really kind of lends to the reality of the situation if you're doing live television. Oh, sure. No, no, no. It, it definitely played into their hands. Now, the Pipes ghost, um, he apparently appears 13 times. Yes. I read about that in there, and there's uh, several things like uh, the video footage that they watch over and over again. They, every time they watch it or play it back, it's a different. It's actually a different version of the footage with oh. a, a, with a different uh, the ghost appearing differently or not at all in one of the instances. And uh, it was meant to mess with the viewers' heads, wherein they would think, "Oh, I totally see it," or "Wait, no, I don't see it." Well, I did notice in the bedroom scene early on. I was like, "Okay, I see the form that they're talking about." And then they played it back again. It was like. Okay, wait, no, I don't see the form again. So I figured there was some of that. I didn't realize it, you know, so you know, how much they, you know, attempted there. That's pretty cool. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I liked it for what it is. Um, I probably would have bought more into it um, just the, on the entertainment value back in the day. Um, but we didn't, you know, was it? We wouldn't have seen this in the U.S. and for quite a few years, I'm sure. If I'm not mistaken, it was kind of a lost gem for a while. Yeah, it, well, it was bad. It wasn't. They knew where it was. It wasn't lost. They just it was not allowed. <laughs> they were like, we're going to put this here in the basement of the Vatican, and you'll never see it. Uh, the uh, writer on this uh, one, Stefan Volk, 
Listen to his uh, his writing credits. Gothic in 1986, The Kiss in 88, uh, The Guardian in 1990, uh, Ghost Watch. This is 1992, so we're caught up now. And then in uh, and then Ghosts in 1995, a TV series. The Deadness of Dad in 97, Superstition in 2001, Cyclops in 2003, uh, Octane, Afterlife, The Awakening, Midwinter of the Spirit, and My Haunted House this year. So uh, this this guy uh, this guy actually has a, a very a very narrow purview when it comes to writing. Yeah, well, he's he's got his niche, and he'll just keep doing it. That's interesting. Um, yeah, Awakening was is it, very similar to this, where you've got the skeptic who goes in to a haunting, and um, it, it's revealed that in fact is a real an authentic um, haunting. It's a reversal, a skeptical reversal. Mm. Now, the Guardian, everybody knows about, right? Yes, that's fair. <laughs> Wasn't that a, that's a Friedkin? Um, that's interesting. So he combined with Friedkin. Hmm. I kind of like the guardian. I remember, and I haven't seen it since I was a kid. So definitely need to go um, back and watch that again. But, uh, the deadness of dad, I don't, <laughs> I have to look this one up cause that just sounds insane. Uh, it looks like, uh, yeah, 2017, uh, the vest is the last, uh, yeah, the most recent work from the director, Leslie Manning. Um, yeah, he didn't. He didn't really dabble in the supernatural much. He did Ghost Watch and then uh, Ghosts. Oh, I think uh, the writer was all Stephen Volk. Who also wrote those episodes of Ghosts. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, not uh, not just typical BBC television fare for the most part. Um, my imagination tends to run away with me, so I would have if, seeing this when it first broadcast. I probably would have been a fair bit creeped out. Hmm. Well, yeah, didn't. That's that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for your uh, your approval, DZ. I appreciate well, yeah, that. You're welcome. Um, yeah, you know, again, it, you know, it's it's not too bad. Um, uh, it's definitely entertaining. I w- I probably wouldn't show this to my youngest niece, only because she is kind of prone to that mm-hmm. overactive um, but, imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, she's watched a few YouTube videos um, that delve you know, that went in that direction. They used to be just you know. I, I can't remember the kids' names, so they would just do uh, abandoned buildings, and eventually they wanted to, I guess, spice things up, and they started involving the quote-unquote supernatural, yeah. and she seemed to be getting upset by it. So I'm like, okay, no, let's unsubscribe to these guys. But that isn't um, that the 2018 version of this? It is, um, but, you know, I find it kind of annoying, you know, because it's <laughs> such bullshit, yes. honestly. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on that, but I don't want to get into into that side of it. But yeah, the, I wouldn't show it to her, but I would definitely show um, it to my thirteen uh, year old and older because yeah. they'd get a kick out of it. They'd be interested. Yeah, um, it's it's fun. It's a good format. I mean, it's well made, um, and I you know I do actually want to go back and see if I can spot all the ghost, um, you know, the pipes um, uh, spottings. Um, you know, and this could be a fun group watch too. And I think it would be kind of uh, fun to, you know, play it for someone who's unsuspecting, especially if you're like, hey, there's this random thing on TV. <laughs> Try to really play it off. It's yeah. like, that'd be hard, but it, you this could is, attempt uh, it. This is real uh, breaking, uh, you know, cutting edge stuff that they're doing uh, on TV 20 years ago. Um, it's like, this This looks um, kind of old. It's got that weird kind of tint to it. Oh, I just realized something. 20 years ago was. Th- 
almost 2000. So 1992. Oh, I don't want to think about that. Never mind. Oh, uh, oh, you just are you aging yourself right now? I just, that was 26 years ago. Uh, <laughs> I know. I'm like 2000 was nearly 20 years ago. Dude, what happened? I graduated in 96. Uh I'm older than you. Shut up. <laughs> um, so I would say Ghost Watch is more of an oddity. It's the kind of thing that you watch uh, more as a like, oh, hey, there's this weird thing. Check this out. Interesting. You don't necessarily watch it with the same eyes that um, a uh, a regular. F- it's it's very dated. Um, and on top of being very dated, it was not really top notch A plus material to begin with. I enjoyed it. I don't think I'll be revisiting it, but I'm glad I saw it, and I th- I feel like it has value to it. Uh, I recommend everyone, if you haven't seen it, um, check it out. It's on Shudder. Shudder, can we get a, a sponsorship already? Please. I mean, come on here. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think it's valuable in a historical context, because um, I think it really did pave the way, not just for Blair Witch, um, but also for... And, and, begrudgingly uh, all these ghost hunt you know bigfoot type shows um because they're it's pretty much the same form format what's interesting is you see certain things like the thermal cam but um they don't use any of the other things that have developed since then in the quote-unquote ghost hunters world where you know they've got the uh, heat sensor and a few other little odds and ends they you know that sort of new modern take on uh, the add-ons um, don't appear in this so it's you know it's kind of interesting seeing that um, historically too um yeah it was entertaining enough it's you know in my book not mind-blowing that but yeah i'll agree with that i give it four and a half ham sandwiches out of uh five and the last one has cherry tomatoes um, I'm going to rate it. It's chilly in here, and I don't know why. Mm. And my thermal vision is going off the charts. Oh, no, not the thermal vision. Just don't, I think something touched me. Don't fart when someone's got the thermal vision goggles on. They'll see it. Dude, I'd want to eat so much beans if I were going on a ghost hunt. <laughs> I just, just run around. Like, oh, the butt, the farting ghost? The anal ghost. <laughs> the anal ghost. No, it'd be like I, I'd fart. It's like, did you feel that? It's just a bunch of SPD. God damn, this is the stinkiest ghost ever. <laughs> My anus is haunted. Huh? Oh, the tale of the haunted vagina. Mm, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but we will be right back with the Monster Club. You're listening to Cinema Diabolica. All right, we're back. And DZ, let me tell you something. The Monster Club is a very, very interesting film. I had not seen this before. I guess you have. Oh, yeah. I saw this when I was little. It Uh, came out in 81, and I was probably like 10. Right. And I only I, I don't recall seeing it completely in its entirety, um, even back then. I mean, I've seen it several times at basically bits and pieces here and there. And it makes perfect sense because it's an anthology yeah. uh, movie. So John Carradine and Vincent Price. Uh, and Donald like, Pleasance. Is, don't forget Donald, Donald Pleasance. Pleasance. Well, Donald Pleasance, okay, he's funny because he's basically a uh, paycheck. You know, at a certain point, he's having to pay, I think, like three different alimony payments. <laughs> so, so he, and this this comes from other people who've worked with him who you know who loved him. I think Adrian Barbeau was saying, yeah, you know, he was doing movies because he had to pay off three different you know ex wives or something like that. So, <laughs> wow. 
Yeah. And Carradine, you know, he's, he's got to be doing something, I guess. And Vincent Price, well, hell, it seemed like at a certain point you look back on his career and you go, yeah, I could see him just doing anything monster related. Right. Apparently uh, Cushing and, um, and Sauron, I'm blanking on his name, uh, were tapped for this and they, they saw what it was about and they were like, hell no. (laughs) So Christopher Lee was like, absolutely not. I'm Christopher Lee. Instead, I will make a metal album I'll in make, my 80s. I'll record yet another metal record about uh, Charlemagne. Uh, you know how fucking baller that is, though, that's, that he recorded a metal album? That's pretty impressive, actually. Um, yeah. Let's see here. Where's the Monster Club on uh, John Carradine? Okay, so 1981, this is after The Howling and before... Uh, Frankenstein Island, Goliath Away, It's the Nesting. So this is all stuff that's after the Monster Club for Carradine. Man, he did a lot. Oh, Ice Pirates? Fuck, we got to cover Ice Pirates someday. Yeah, we do. Oh, I love that movie. It's we so should terrible. do a sci-fi thing sometime. Hmm. We'd have to figure out a better, uh, get, get a good theme for it, but yeah, some kind of sci-fi thing. Okay. Uh, Peggy It'll be Sue. Just fucking ice. Yeah. And we'll call it our Christmas special. It's like, why wow, these are all thematically tuned into each other by ice yeah fuck it Peggy Sue got married in 86 buried alive uh, in 1990 and then his final film was in 1995 which is uh, Mm. about a jack-o'-lantern type I don't know Anywho, we're getting off topic here. The Monster Club, 1981. Uh, The writer of horror stories is invited to a club by a mysterious old gentleman. There, three gruesome to him. Between each story, some musicians play their songs. Now, that might be needlessly uh, literal, but it is basically kind of, you know, ignoring the... uh, the content of the uh, the short stories, the anthologies, that is kind of the rapper. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is it feels much more like a variety show than it does an anthology movie. Hmm. You know, you've got these uh, music acts in between um, the three different stories. Okay, and you've got this wraparound, which the wraparound is is super loose. It's just about monsters, which that that, that was kind of a fun, goofy part. Um, but uh, yeah, the music was not too bad in UB40. Yes, pretty the pretty things. B. A. Robertson, UB40. That fucking opening song, "Monsters Rule." Okay, I was blown away because there's a that's kind of like an older like like punk thing, like punks rule. Okay, skinheads rule. Okay, that's kind of like an older thing. So hearing "Monsters Rule," okay, in this was like it felt kind of legit. Yeah, that was I, I. I dug it. I actually enjoyed the music um, in general. Uh, the female singer later on, I was like, "Wow, okay, so she can wail." This I'm almost enjoying the music parts more than I am the stories. And I'll say this: the first, like, let's go with uh, well, all the way up until the uh, the first, um, and even through the first uh, anthology piece, the first short story, even through that, I really felt lots of charisma. And like it, I mean, it wasn't good. It was extremely cheap. Uh, all of the uh, the leads are like moments from death. They're so washed up. And <laughs> but it it still had like this. You know, I I had an affectation for it. The BBC ness of it all. The uh, the hammer um, the hammer influence there. Uh, the cheap masks. The uh, legit eighties punk moments. Like everything about this was charismatic and enjoyable, including that ridiculous first segment. Um, and, but from there it just fell off and got incredibly boring. Yeah. It, um, 
it, there's like, there are like many moral plays uh, about treating other people right, I guess. Right. Um, the Shadmok is interesting. You know, it's almost like a, a um, like a capsule profile on a, you know a, an unknown monster. Even you know Vincent Price breaks down how the ghouls, different species, and creating these different strange mixtures, right. which is like a weird exposition. Um, you know, and, and and it's a good, it's a decent story, especially the end result, because you know it does it ties its moral morality back into the ending. Um, but then after that, it's just like were these like unfinished skits? You know, what was the point really behind them? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, though it was kind of Pleasant's playing uh, basically a Van Helsing type um, <laughs> in the second story. That that was there was you know cute kitschy parts, right? Um, and the zeal with which the people he was working with uh, in wanting to stake him, um, yeah. And you know, then you get to the third story, which just meanders, and it's all set up for the punchline at the end. Which I remember, you know, when I was a kid, I'm initially seeing that ending, and I was like, okay, that's actually pretty gruesome. But it's, looking back on it now, I'm like it was false teeth <laughs> what yeah so i mean it it's fun for what it is and it has a charm definitely um it's almost like you know the british you know britishness of it uplifts it even though the material is pretty dull yeah the material is pretty dull the charisma the uh, the, the kind of affectation that i had for it wore off fairly quickly and uh i don't know it's I would say that it's worth um, worth a watch for sure, but I just don't think it has any staying power after that first one or two times. Like you would watch it once yourself, maybe show it to someone after that, but I just I don't think it has any replayability after that. Yeah, I don't think it works for adults, but I think you know it's it's a softball, especially the second story because it involves a kid right. as the uh, focus. So I could that's probably why it did appeal to me when I was ten. But not maybe. so much now. Yeah, maybe. I just enjoyed how, like, theater acting, like, it was very stage play acting in the um, in the uh, the overarching uh, connective. It starts with uh, uh, Vincent, Vincent Price's vampire character kind of stumbling out of a corner looking very rumpled, and, and like in an alley, looking very rumpled and uh, kind of been through it. Just, oh, help me, help. I haven't had a sup in days. It's like, sup? Who who the fuck talks like this? It's 1980. Yeah. What are you doing? And then uh, John Carradine's character was like, well, I'll give you some money to buy some food. I uh, can't keep food down. Never could. Well, I'll help you any way that I can. Who is going to help just a miscreant any way that they can? I don't understand. And then you know, it's really he was weird. a super helpful, old, rich writer, I guess. Well, yeah. You know, you know, those super helpful, old, rich writers. Uh <laughs> It was really interesting. The way he, the way that Vincent Price bites John Carradine on the neck, really reminded me of of a, an episode of The Muppet Show where Vincent Price was on and Kermit bit him. Like that. I'm going to have to look into that and see if that was before or after that this movie. Oh, you need to. You, we need to find that because I vaguely remember that too. Um, because he was just such a ham on the show. Yes. Uh, well, it's The Muppet Show. The Muppet Show is perfect, dude. It's yeah. so so good. I have uh, find that clip and um, throw that in uh, the group when you get when you get around to it. I will do. Yeah. That. Um. I do agree with you that the stagey parts, you know, the kind of, uh, I don't know, Grand Gignol, I can't even say that fucking word. Gignol. I think that's what they were going for. Right. Um, and what's interesting is it, to a degree, um, 
when you watch those parts that take place in the club, it's as if they're kind of predating um, the rise of like cosplay and monster lifestyling. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, to you know, I wouldn't be surprised if some goths, um, and you know, I'm not picking on goths particularly, but cosplayers. You know, actually, I want to go as a shadmock sometime to a convention and see if anybody recognizes them or thinks that it's some sort of modified, you know, modified Nosferatu. That could be interesting. <laughs> or just run up on groups of people and just go <laughs> do that weird whistle. Maybe pre-record it. Yeah, I know. I didn't quite understand uh, a lot of that, and it was. A lot of that shed mock whatever it was a little bit ridiculous, but in an enjoyable way for the most part. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, yeah. I I I I can say that I enjoyed it all the way up through that first segment, but then at the very beginning of the next segment, it just lost me immediately. Well, okay, so I, I think what it might possibly be is okay. So the first part, there's sort of a character sort of you feel bad for a monster and it's it's you know it's a bit of a drama maybe a melodrama then you get to the second story and it's just kitschy funny you know weird off-kilter comedy that kind of plays more towards kids especially with that ridiculous anti-staking vest (laughs) Um, which when i was a kid i thought that was actually kind of cute um and then the third story gets really dark and morbid, and it feels a little Lovecraftian. Um, and it's probably the darkest of the three stories. But because of each segment being so different thematically from each other, it you know it, it doesn't really congeal. I think mm-hmm. all that well. I think if each of them were equally as dark, sort of like uh, uh, when you're watching the VHS movies. Um, where they do just keep constantly punching or at least attempting to punch um, and stay stick with it. It feels, it feels, you know, more rounded out. Mm. I, I think it was like, they just took that. three different stories from wherever they got them and kind of put them together. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably true. Or you're probably correct with that. Uh, at any rate. Uh, so that's, uh, that's the monster club. Um, any final words? Well, okay, so there is a female uh, strip dance, a strip tease in this, and that was kind of cute. That was probably like the highlight, and I've seen it in uh, people reference it in clips before. Mm-hmm. That's the best the the stripper can get is cute. Well, no, well, it's cute because of the way it ends. I mean, it would have oh, been okay. amazing if they had the, the budget to actually do a full skeletal strip tease. Right? Yeah, if they were able to do that the way that they what the, if they were able to actually do what they were alluding to. Uh, yes, it would have been pretty amazing, actually. Someone needs to just, you know, just do it. Have a stripper take off their clothes and then their skin and their organs and everything down to just the straight oh, and bones. Just, and it's just like 10 minutes of them throwing their internal internal organs because right. there's so many of them. Well, you, that muscle. you just lost me. Uh, so <laughs> this is Cinema Diabolica. I am F13. This is DZ. We out. Bye.